This morning's sermon is out of Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 37. Luke 6, beginning at verse 37. And before we begin, let us pray. Heavenly Father, please exalt your Son, the Lord Jesus. May he be lifted high and may we delight ourselves in him, put our faith and confidence in him, rest in him and find in him all that we need. We ask, Father, that we would see ourselves before you. We would see the Lord Jesus Christ as the greatest and most awesome and the most precious of all, that we would delight in him and him above all things. Father, I ask that you would work in our hearts and our minds that we truly would believe. Believe your word, believe your promises, and that you would work in us by the Spirit so that we would lay hold fast to the truth that is in Jesus, that we'd love him more today, trust him more, delight in him more, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, let's read the text this morning, Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. These words from Jesus came in the context in which he was declaring to the people about the kingdom of God. He went about preaching about the kingdom of God. And who it is that belongs to this kingdom? And oddly enough, it isn't who the people of Israel expected it would be. They were completely dumbfounded by what he's saying. They were thinking it would be the confident, the rich, the ceremonially clean, those who visibly seem to have God's blessing on their lives. That's who it would be who would inherit the kingdom of God. But Jesus comes and he says things that blow them all away because he says it was going to be the broken, the humble, the poor, the mourners who are being rejected These were the ones who inherit the kingdom of God. It's going to be those who loved their enemies, did good to those who hated them, and blessed those who cursed them. And this was all going to happen. Why? Because of the work that Jesus was going to do for them and in them. By his love and by his spirit in them, they would begin to reflect him by loving their enemies. And now, here, he goes on to say this, that this continued 
manifest presence of the kingdom by those who lived according to Jesus, what was continuing going to be ref- continually going to be reflected in this God's people? Well, they were not going to judge or condemn, but they were going to be giving and forgiving. This would be the spirit that reflected them. And the interesting part about this is the way Jesus puts it. He seems to be giving incentives, doesn't he? Doesn't he seem to be giving incentives for doing this? Like, why should we not judge? Does he say, judge, he says, judge not why? And you will not be judged. That's an incentive. If you don't want to be judged, don't judge, is basically what he's saying. Condemn not, and guess what? You'll not be condemned. Give, and it'll be given to you. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. So he's, what does he mean by this? This is kind of interesting. It's like, what is Jesus saying here? Uh, you know, are, is this talking about the eternal consequences? If you judge somebody, then in the, in the final judgment, you'll be judged. If you condemn somebody, you'll be condemned. If, if, you, if you forgive, you will be forgiven. If you give, you'll be given to. Well, this is actually very difficult to figure out because we don't know exactly if he's talking about the consequences in life here and now or if he's talking about eternal consequences. And commentators and scholars, they seem uncertain about exactly what Jesus is referring to. However, we know one thing, that there's, there's truth here in both directions. We know that you, you know, often we get treated how we treat others, but we also know that God is going to judge by the righteous standard of his law, the law of love. And the law of love says you treat others how you would want to be treated. The law of love says you, you do good to your neighbors. And so you don't judge them, you don't condemn them, you forgive them, and you, and you give to them. So we see this kind of practically working out in both ways, both directions. Here's the thing. We are, like we always see through all of this, we're going to see that it is Jesus who does this for us. We're going to see in the midst of this, as we see a command and a a strong injunction for us to, to do these things because there's reward and blessing, but then we also find in ourselves struggle, difficulty. We find in ourselves, as we read this, we, we can actually find ourselves condemned because we don't do this kind of stuff. So Jesus is purposefully setting up a clear standard of the law so that he can reveal to us who we really are and who he really is and what it is he will, is going to do for us. And that's what we're going to see this morning. But before we, we kind of pull back and see how this works in light of the gospel, I want us just to walk through and understand what is he getting at when he says this stuff. And so to begin with, he says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. One scholar I read on the subject said this, Judge not, and you will not be judged. It's one of the most commonly quoted verses from the Bible. Have you ever heard this quoted before? Of course, right? Have you ever heard it on TV? Of course. Have you ever heard non-Christians say it? Of course. He goes on to say, Many of us, and not merely politicians, invoke the verse as a first defense when accused of wrong. It's also a favorite stone thrown by those outside the church to accuse Christians of hypocrisy. In 2007, a book was published called Unchristian. What a new generation really thinks about Christianity. It's based on research done among non-Christians, 20-somethings. 
One of their core findings was that nearly 9 out of 10 young people view Christians as judgmental. And given the prohibition against judging issued by Jesus, this would mean most people view Christians as hypocrites. The key to understanding what Jesus is saying and what he's meaning here is to realize that the word judge can be used in two different ways. It's very important to understand this. When Jesus says, judge not, and you'll not be judged, it's very connected to saying, condemn not, and you'll not be condemned. There's a kind of judging that is wrong and a kind of judging that is right. There's a, there's a judge in the Bible that means to be discerning, to distinguish, to know the difference between, to know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, righteous and unrighteous. And then in the Bible, there's also a, judge, a word for judge used that means condemnation, final judgment, to condemn, which would require much more wisdom and discernment than any of us are even capable of. Do you realize the Pharisees were famous for this? The Sadducees and the scribes, they would all do this. They were constantly casting judgment. They would sit in judgment of others and categorize them. Do you guys remember as we go through Luke, if you read it, when, the, when they first show up on the scene, what do you see them doing? They're standing back and they're watching Jesus like this, aren't they? And what are they saying? They're declaring judgment all the time. And, and what they're doing is they're not just being discerning. What they're doing is they categorize people and, and they, they de- determine verdicts, their final verdict on them. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, which we read this, was read for us this morning, he says in verse 4 and, uh, 4 and following, It is the Lord who judges me, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each will receive his commendation from God. So what's Paul saying there? Do not judge in terms of final determination and destination of what, uh, where a, what's going to happen for a person finally, like final judgment. That's God's. In regard to what Jesus is saying here, F.F. Bruce, a New Testament scholar, explains the linguistic dilemma this way. He says, judgment is an ambiguous word in Greek as in English. It may mean exercising a proper discernment or it may mean sitting in judgment of people or even condemning them. And it's the second definition of judgment, sitting in judgment and condemning him, that Jesus forbids. And he kind of makes it clear in the sentence, doesn't he? If you look at the sentence, judge not and you'll be not judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. This is a a common way in in that biblical world of bring clarity. Your second phrase speaks of the first phrase in a different angle to bring more clarity. So judge not and you'll not be judged. Condemn not and you'll not be condemned is kind of the same idea, more clearly expressed. But in regard to judging rightly and having discernment, that other view of judging, like that so often we all get condemned of to say, if you declare, if you're to say that something is wrong, that's sin. The way you spoke to that person was unkind. What you you did to that person at the mall was rude. Is that judging? Well, it is judging, but it's not the kind of judging Jesus was referring to here. 
Paul said in the same book in 1 Corinthians where he said not to judge him. Do you know what he said earlier in chapter 2, verse 15? But he who is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. So he's talking about judging all things. Well, I thought he said not to judge. He, he did, but he meant a different kind of judge. Philippians 1.9, Paul says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. In that sense, discernment. Paul even told the Corinthians, Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10.15 to judge what he said, whether it was from God or man, to be discerning. John 7.24, Jesus said, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Did you hear that? <laughs> Don't judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Matthew 18, verses 15, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, you're to go to him and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Well, you couldn't do that if you couldn't judge his actions as sinful. So we have to understand, what's Jesus saying here? In, in John, he says that we're to, to, to judge with righteous judgment. And here we're saying to judge not lest we be judged. It's a different judge. We're not to judge a final condemnation. Call somebody you know, and declare the judgment of, of their position before God eternally as if we know what God is doing in their heart, as if we know that even, even before they die, they might repent and turn to God. But we can judge their actions and declare what they are. See, that, what you just did right there, that was wrong. I'm not, you know, and you could say, because you did that, you know, going to eternally burn in hell, done. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm just telling you, that was wrong, you need to repent. And you turn from it. And let's just say you don't, let's say you don't see that person repent of it and then they die. You still can't cast judgment and determine what end up end with that person because you don't know what happened just before they died. They might have confessed their sins to God. I don't know. That's for God to decide. I don't know, but I just, what, what they did was wrong. And that's fine. That's not being uh, judging in that sense. That's, that's righteous judgment to look at an action and say, okay, God says, do, do not lie. And that person just lied. I mean, God says, don't judge. So I, I can't even say what that is. No, you can. That's a lie. <laughs> you know, as parents, you judge all the time. Don't, that's wrong. Say, say you're sorry. You know, we're constantly, no, no, don't do that. This is wrong. We're, judgment and discernment has to come out. So it's important to make a distinction because as soon as somebody stands up and declares, you know, some issue in culture or society is sinful, everybody screams that we're being judgmental. That's not what Jesus means. It's important to understand that so we can apply it appropriately. Next, he goes on after this. He says, um, give and it'll be given to you. Or no, sorry, I jumped ahead. Forgive and you will be forgiven. So Jesus here... Here's something important to understand in this particular phrase. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. What does that sound like? My forgiveness is contingent upon my forgiving other people as if that's where atonement and justification comes from. Doesn't it kind of seem like that? That's what, it's, that's what it reads like. At first reading, you're like, wow. So, so our forgiveness really has nothing to do with Jesus. It's purely on whether or not we forgive other people. It's kind of how it seems to come across. But this is not what he is meaning. 
he is, he is stating a fact about what happens, the fruit and the result of what happens in somebody who is forgiven, because this is what they do. They forgive, and they're forgiven. And again, I think it's primarily a lot of this is that if a person is a, has a pattern of forgiveness, they forgive other people, and that's the way they live their lives, they often are forgiven by others. That's typically a, a forgiving spirit, someone who's forgiving. They're often forgiven by others because we tend to treat others how they treat us. And if something, somebody's constantly forgiving us, we, we tend to be forgiving toward them. And, for, and a forgiving spirit is manifested in, only in somebody who's been forgiven. They've been forgiven much, so they enjoy forgiving. And this is why Christian forgiveness marks the Christian because this is precisely how they've been treated by Jesus. How has Jesus treated you? He forgives you. Generously. Do you know as Jesus went throughout his ministry, all throughout Galilee and Judea, do you know what he was doing almost constantly? He was forgiving people. Anybody that came up to him said, Jesus, forgive me. What did he do? I forgive you. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Anybody, it didn't matter, come up to him and say, forgive me. And Jesus says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. And then, he didn't just go around telling people they're forgiven. He, he went and paid for their forgiveness. He goes to the cross to shed his blood to atone for the sins so that they might actually be forgiven. He gives his life for theirs. All these wretched sinners who hate him or despise him or do their own thing and are caught up in their sins. He says, I'm, yeah, I gladly and I willingly forgive you. Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to be, any of you guys want to be forgiven? What do you have to do? Just come to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me. Do you know what Jesus says? You're forgiven. I gladly forgive you. And you know what people who've been forgiven, you know what they're like? They forgive. (laughs) When you realize, just imagine this, that you've been forgiven a debt of worth a million dollars. And somebody who owes you a dollar comes to you and says, would you forgive me that dollar debt? Well, unless you misunderstood, you forgot, or didn't realize what just happened, which it's possible, right? How do we respond? Oh, man, are you kidding me? (laughs) Of course. That's like chump change. You have no idea. No idea how much I've been forgiven. It. And that's the, that, that's the very nature of the people who he's talking about here. Jesus, Jesus is a forgiver, and that's all he does. He just goes around forgiving, and he's forgiven us a truckload. And so for us to you know, forgive people just this minuscule stuff, no matter what they do to us, it, in comparison, it's, there is no comparison. And do you realize the people who do not forgive are those who either don't understand, don't know, have never been forgiven? Let me ask you a real, hey, do this, a really sincere question towards you. Do you gladly forgive those who sin against you? That's a really important question because it tells you so much about your own heart. If you, if, if, if you say, man, I really struggle to forgive what people do to me, let me suggest this to you. You need to have a strong look in the mirror Understand yourself and then understand the gospel once again. What has Jesus done for you? He's forgiven it all. You know, a lot of people who struggle with forgiveness, they struggle with the fact that Jesus forgave them. 
They probably don't even think or believe that he's forgiven them. And so how could they forgive others when they've never known that forgiveness? How? They can't. So if you're sitting here this morning and you struggle with forgiveness, I guarantee you, you're struggling with either understanding or applying the gospel to your own life. To know that Jesus says to you gladly, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what you thought, you come to me and say, would you please forgive me? Do you know what Jesus says? No problem. I gladly forgive you. I gladly forgive you. But hey, maybe we're just so self-righteous and full of ourselves that we really see our forgiveness before God as kind of puny. And others' forgiveness before us, what they've done to us is kind of like this. If you see it like this at all, what God has done for you and what they've done to you kind of like this, you are confused and, and you desperately need the Spirit of God to open your eyes so that it goes like this. Because when you see yourself and what you've done, what you've said, what you've thought, and how, and just if you know yourself just a little bit, if the God has allowed you to see yourself, you understand that you've got the mountain high sins that He's gladly forgiven. And now, what anybody else does to you kind of shrinks in comparison. And that's why Jesus says, "Forgive, and you'll be forgiven." Not because that's how you're forgiven, because but that's what how people are going to treat you. And this is, this is the nature of his kingdom. It's full of forgiveness because I've initiated, I forgive. And then he goes on to say, give and it'll be given to you. This isn't the slot machine automatic kind of uh, idea here. Uh, give, uh, if I give you five, then you give me ten. And that's just the way, if I gave you my jacket, you'd at least give me your jacket or something more. We shouldn't think of this as that in terms of give and it will be given to you, and that's how it works in life, just one for one immediately. But it does, it's an axiom in a sense. It does work this way and in more ways than we can even tell. And we, when we give and we live with a giving spirit, we find that we are given to in all kinds of ways and in, and in all kinds of different ways. They're not one for one. But we're given much. Like, even Peter, do you remember Peter and his conversation with Jesus? And he thought he was something else, didn't he? Because he just, uh, Jesus is talking about giving up to follow him, and he says, Oh, Jesus, we, we've left everything to follow you. To which Jesus responds, Truly I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brother or sisters or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. So what is he saying there? Don't ever think that you give and are not given to in a much greater way from me. <laughs> if you think of it like sacrifice, that, oh, look, it, I've given you so much, Jesus. Wait a second. I'll ensure that I will give back to you more than you ever gave. That's how he works. So Jesus says this is, this is both true in this life, how it works in the world, and in the life to come. So in reality, giving pays good dividends. 
really good dividends. He says, again, just after he says, give and be given to you, what has he said? He, he goes on to talk about how this giving manifests, manifests itself in, in abundance. Good measure, pressed down. Here's the idea of pressing. You ever taken something and you really want to fill a jar full? What do you do? If, if you get a tamper in there and you tamp it, you press it down and it's shaken together. You know, a lot of things, they, they, they settle down and they, they get really tight when you shake them together. And he says it's running over and put into your lap. He basically says it's just it's pressed, it's shaken, and it's overflowing. That's what happens to those who give. And sometimes it's not always in material things because we know here's this, it's like magic in the kingdom. And you'll know this if you've ever done it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When you give, if you've ever given at times, and there's something happens to your soul, there's kickback. It's not so Jesus doesn't say give five and you get five with interest back. Don't think just ter- in terms of just physical. Emotional, spiritual reward. You've all known it. The world even knows this. The world, you, they, they're catching on to the concept. Because we got, we're taught, everybody's told to give back or pay it forward, right? And why? Because they know that there's a blessing in this. This is why you, you, you get in lines every now and then, and they say the car in front of you paid for it. And you realize when that car in front of you did that, they received more blessing than you did. You're like, oh, wow, that's nice of them. But God has made it so there's a, a blessing in the giving that's actually better to give than it is to receive. We know this even as parents, and I've said this before. The greatest thing at Christmas time is what? As your parent, is it receiving your gift? No. It's giving your gift to your kid and watching those eyes light up and get them get jazzed and excited. And then they say thank you. It's just like, oh, man, that was the best ever. I don't know if you've ever received a reward before, and it's okay. But if you've ever seen your child receive an award... It's unbelievable. And that's the way the kingdom works. And Jesus is saying, this is what happens. You give, and it comes back. And it's not only time of physical. It does something to you. It's, there's huge blessing there. But, you know, even though we know all these things about giving, forgiving, about not judging or condemning, you know, we can know this stuff, right? We can know you're supposed to. Hey, you're not, do not judge, do not condemn, forgive and be giving. But what do you see in your life sometimes? You see that there are times we find ourselves being judgmental, condemning, unforgiving, and too eager to not give or being unwilling to not give. And let me suggest to you, when this is happening to us, when we find ourselves becoming judgmental, We find ourselves not being too ready to forgive. We find ourselves being stingy. Do you know what that is? Let me tell you. You've either forgotten or misunderstood or perhaps you don't know at all the gospel. Because this is where it all comes from. Do you realize the heart of sinful man is just filled with greed and with lust and with selfish desire and self-righteousness? That heart cannot but judge and condemn, cannot forgive, cannot give. It just it wants to receive. It, it, it hates those who, who, who harm them in any way. It's like, 
I'm clear about this and I'm quick to judge because I, I tell you what, you're irritating me and frustrating me. That heart just doesn't even know what Jesus is talking about here. And the only heart that can even understand what Jesus is referring to here is the heart that's received all this. We were not judged by Jesus. We were not condemned. He did not condemn, come to condemn the world, but to forgive the world. We were forgiven by Jesus, and he's just blessed us, and he's given us good things. And we see him giving in our lives, and, and man, we, we are changed because of what he's done for us. But here's something else, too. I think we get the gospel wrong when it gets shrunken down to a mere understanding of, yes, Jesus died for my sins so that I can go to heaven when I die. And so we really think, we get to believing, if that's just the gospel, we think it has the eternal benefit sometime in the future, but right now life's a struggle and you don't understand and I'm in, in it up to here. Well, you know what? The goodness and the grace of God goes so much further up and further in than we realize. The gospel goes way beyond that simple idea of merely, we're going to hell, Jesus came to save us, so now we can go to heaven. But let's just get on with life. No, no, no. It enters in and it impacts every single area of life. Do you realize the good news of Jesus extends so far beyond that? Jesus not only took care of the penalty of sin, he took care of the power of sin. He took care of the dominant nature of sin. He took, takes care of, the need to, of our need to pursue righteousness. He does so much more in and through us than we even fully understand or comprehend. And we couldn't even understand the depth and the breadth of the gospel if we spent our lives meditating on it and searching it through how great his love is for us and its impact in our lives. You know, we are called to not judge or to condemn, but rather to give and forgive. And then Jesus says in our text, he shows us kind of how this works. How do we get there? How do we become those, that kind of people? He tells this parable in verse 33. He told them a parable, parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. What Jesus is saying here is that Israel is full of blind guides. Blind leading the blind. Guides who cannot see and do not know where they're going. They have no idea, but they're saying, follow me. And as you're following, it's like imagine a blind guy, say, a blind guide, follow me. Okay, we're all following. We're all blind. We don't know the difference. He falls into a pit because they're everywhere and, and you fall in right with them. How are you not to? They're leading any, every single person who follows them, these Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes and all the religious leaders of that time. They're nothing but blind guides because they can't see for looking themselves. They are deceived to no end about their own righteousness, about their standing before God, about their whole cleanliness and, their, and, and who they are as the people of God. Absolutely deceived. And the reason why these blind guides lead everybody into the pit with them is because he says it's by nature. This is what happens. The teacher will be like, he goes on to say, will be like uh, the student, the disciple, will be like the teacher when he's fully taught. 
You can't go beyond. That's, what you, that's the whole point of it. That's what happens. You end up like them. Unless you had some other teacher, you, you end up like them. And so Jesus is the only one who has eyes to see, who can lead his people to freedom and blessing. And when we follow him, we become like him. And we do what he does. But the question is how? How? How can we possibly be righteous as he is righteous and love as he loves? Here's how. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's how. And so you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, here's another way of saying it. Jesus gives what he requires. But he only gives to those who believe in him and trust in him fully. That's who he gives to. And here's what I mean by that. We might understand that Jesus did for us um, what he did for us to fulfill the law of righteousness, the righteous requirement, and that we understand that he reconciled us to God, but we don't understand the second part of it. We don't understand how it applies to our daily living. So we understand that Jesus, perhaps just, perhaps we do, understand that Jesus justifies us, makes us righteous before God. But we don't understand how it is that Jesus works in and through us in daily living, how we love one another, how we give and all that other stuff. Because if you're at all like me, you tend to go about your days seeking to do what is right. The Lord has spoken, and we seek to do it. We seek to not be judging, not condemn. We seek to forgive. We seek to be giving. But what happens? We find ourselves not doing that like we ought to, right? We find ourselves coming up short. We find ourselves being proud, lazy, selfish, and unkind. You know, we... You're supposed to love your wives, right? Husbands? Husbands, if you have a wife, the Bible says, love your wives as Christ loves the church. But how often do we find ourselves being grumpy, unkind, selfish, lazy, and indifferent? So, yeah, of course we're supposed to love our wives. But yet what we find ourselves doing often is not loving them in truth, in reality, because I'm selfish and I'm lazy and I can be, uh, because of that, rude and unkind and self-centered. You don't want it to be this way. So why is it? Let's just imagine something for a moment. Imagine you standing beside a really high wall and Jesus says to you, jump. I want you to jump that wall. Well, it looks too high to jump. I don't, there's no way I could jump it, but let's give it a whirl. So I jump, and I jump, and I keep jumping, and I keep trying, and I keep trying. And he says, keep going, keep going. And finally, I'm, I'm sweating, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm spent, I'm done. I say, I can't, I can't. There's, it's just, there's no way I can. And Jesus says, finally. Finally, finally, you have come to your senses. 
you've come to the point where you need to understand something. You can't, but I can. What's impossible for you is more than possible for me. It's not difficult for me. What you need to do is submit to me, look to me, trust me, and allow me to work in and through you. And when we do that, when we give up all this effort and trying and struggling and we look to Jesus and we cry out to him, I can't, but we cling to him and we look to him and we trust him, he says, now jump. And boom, we're over the wall. And we're wondering how that just happened. Well, because you realize something. And you can say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And why? Because it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Both the will and to do for his good pleasure. But you know what? This is a very hard lesson to learn. A very Because we have pride. <laughs> and we want to show God. We want to prove to him. We're addicted to ourselves. We're addicted to our self-righteousness. We're addicted to proving our worth. We're addicted to doing things our way and in our own time and in our own strength. This has always been the problem, hasn't it? We're addicted to ourselves. Because we don't like our weakness. We don't like submitting. We don't like walking by faith. We don't like trusting the Lord. Because you know what happens when you do that, fully and completely? You're no longer in control. And that is so humbling to our ego. That is so humbling to us because, you mean I can't take any credit at all? No, none. It's by grace, through faith, from beginning to end. So the person walking by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of Jesus, Jesus working in and through them by the Spirit, is somebody who's like this before Jesus, and they know. They know they can't. They know he can. And they offer themselves completely to him, absolutely everything. And I am all yours. Lord Jesus, do in me what I know I can't. I look to you. To fill me, to strengthen me, to have your way in me. And I trust you completely that you will do what you've promised. As we do that, as we, as we understand, and here's something, here's something that Christians often don't understand. Is what it means to walk by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because, and I've said this, I've been saying this a little bit lately, because we often think that, yeah, Jesus saves us and delivers us, and now it's time for me to go and show and prove. Now it's time for me to do my thing. But no, you, you can't do the thing, but you can through him who strengthens you. So it requires, though, full submission and faith that he will. So this is the lesson of our lives, though. We keep trying to jump the wall, and he says, okay, keep going. How are you doing at that? How's it working out for you? Go, 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 go. Keep going. Keep going. Because there's no use. Until you're done with you, until you're done with yourself, you really, 
you know, it's Jesus isn't interested in just being a sidecar helper. You know, oh, Lord, I've got this to do and that to do. Would you come and bless me? You know, um, help me out a little bit. Make up my deficiencies. No, 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 no. He's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, as they say. It's all him. So you must submit fully to him and trust in him, even for your righteousness. But that's hard to get, and it takes our lives, it seems, to learn to walk by faith in him. Because remember this, as I close it with this statement, Jesus gives what he requires. So stop trying to impress them. Amen. Father, we're very grateful and we're very thankful for Jesus because he has done it all from beginning to end. And Father, I confess to you and I ask for you to forgive us all for being so stubborn, for being so self-centered, for being so self-oriented. For, for boasting in our strength when we ought to be boasting in our weakness, for not looking to you, for not trusting you, for not hoping in Jesus and him alone to work in and through us. Father, forgive us. Have your way with us, and, and may we exalt Jesus from beginning to end. Raise him up and praise him and delight in him and boast in him, because not only have you, Lord Jesus, saved us in the final sense, You've saved us and delivered us from ourselves, from sin, from the the selfishness. And we ask, Father, that you would work in us deeply, that we would, on a day-to-day basis, submit all to Jesus, trust in him alone because he does it all. We praise you for Jesus. And it's in him we pray. Amen.